0: Welcome
1: to a very special social distancing season of Consumed, the podcast about life and flavor across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm Jamie Lewis. Every quarter, I publish 10 conversations I've had with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, but this season is a little different for obvious reasons. To keep things healthy and safe, I'm conducting interviews via Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me in this new, uncharted territory. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a recent conversation I had with my friend, James Onaveros. He's the farmer and owner of Ranchos de Onaveros and Native Nine Wines in the Santa Maria Valley, and I interviewed him in my first season. Anyway, we were talking about COVID and how much it's affecting everything in the hospitality industry, and then I said, yeah, I question whether or not I should even bother doing another season of Consumed right now, given how scary and difficult everything is. James stopped me right there and said, no, Jamie, we need these conversations now more than ever. James is a born storyteller, so I get why he thinks stories matter. But when he said he wanted to sponsor the next season of Consumed, I knew he really meant it. We need stories about our experiences, how we fell in love with food or wine or brewing or baking, and we need it right now, when so many of us have to put our passions on the back burner just to survive. So, I'm letting James and Ranchos de Anaveros help me, and I fully intend to help him. Find his exquisite Pinot Noir and Chardonnay wines at ranchosdeaniveros.com. And check out his new restaurant, The Station in Los Alamos, where you can get takeout on the weekends. Find The Station at thestationlosalamos.com And as always, Consumed is sponsored by the awesome people at Slow Life magazine. In preparing for their first post-coronavirus issue, I've been so impressed by how resilient they are and how focused they are on the local community. I cover food for Slow Life, so it's been tricky finding a good way to write about restaurants without stressing them out. But the Slow Life editor suggested I write about farm boxes and CSAs, which is a brilliant idea while those services are going bananas with growth. The point is Slow Life is a source of community and calm right now when we're all separated and anxiety is running maybe a little high. Look for a copy in your mailbox every other month. And if you're not already in the know, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Jack and Michelle Rudolph own Stepladder Creamery, operated out of the beautiful Stepladder Ranch in the hills behind Cambria, California. In fact, the property lies in a valley between the Santa Lucia Mountains, not far from the famous Hearst Castle. There, the Rudolphs raise a large and growing herd of La Mancha goats, prized for their quiet nature and their milk, which is high in butterfat for cheese. Several years ago, when I worked in PR, I took a journalist up to the ranch to experience the goats, and I couldn't get over the beauty of the place so far back in the hills. In addition to the goats, Jack and Michelle grow dozens of acres of Haas avocados, citrus, and passion fruit. I wanted to know how it happened that two people in their 20s wound up owning a herd of goats and a creamery, selling cheese and other products at 24 farmer's markets every week, and operating a very successful cheese club and online store. Listen in on our conversation to learn why Jack had a crepe pan at 12 years old, how Michelle milked the goats while enduring stomach flu, how they've experimented with growing bananas and coffee on the ranch and the food they miss most during quarantine. Here's my talk with Jack and Michelle Rudolph. Hi, we brought our cats. (laughs) They look healthy.
0: You're very happy. Yeah.
1: Nice. You guys, where are you right now?
0: We're in our living room. On our couch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um, well, thanks for taking time to do this. It's so odd. I know. I would way rather have you at my table. Um, what do you guys, how, how did this all start? How'd you wind up getting involved in ranching up at Stepladder?
2: Yeah. So it's a little bit of a long roundabout story, but uh, my grandparents, uh, Jack and Beverly Russell purchased this property in 1983 um, And it was sort of a dilapidated, rundown cattle ranch. um, And they started sort of developing it in the later part of their life, uh, planting some avocados and some citrus and stuff like that. And then um, I moved here-
0: Like seven years ago? Yeah,
2: it's been seven years now, which is kind of crazy. So I guess that would have been like 2013. Um, No, I think I moved here in 2012, so almost eight years, but my grandparents had passed away. The farm had sort of languished a little bit. Um, I was working at a tech company up in the Bay Area and did not like that anymore, needed to get away from that. And also the ranch was doing badly. So uh, my mom and her two sisters, none of them were living here or managing the farm. They didn't grow up here since my grandparents bought it later in their lives. Um, But I moved down here to sort of try to see what was going on and see what we could do to sort of make it happen because uh, a lot of these ranches don't go so well uh, in the long term. So I moved down here super green, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, started helping with the avocado business and the cattle business, and then um, was an amateur goat milker in the evenings after work <laughs> and eventually met Michelle. So, Michelle.
0: I am a barrier transplant as well. Um, in short, I went to Cal Poly and never left. Um, I kind of stayed in the area by doing weddings and events at local wineries um, and met Jack while I was an event planner and started helping him milking his goats within, I think, like just a few weeks of dating. I had my own milking shifts with the goats. you got to milk them twice a day, every day. Um, Being like a Bay Area suburb native, I've never even really been around animals, and it was so fascinating and fun. I just wanted to learn. And fast forward five years later, here we are today, um... Professional farmers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and with the goats, I mean, did you always know, not always, but when you got the ranch, Jack, did you, were goats the first thing you wanted to, to raise?
2: So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I got the ranch. It still belongs to my uh, extended family, all of my grandfather's grandchildren, my aunts and uncles, et cetera. So in
0: a summary, Jack's family owns the farm that he manages, we manage mostly Jack, um, and then we own the creamery. So, yeah,
2: it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, Um,
0: and voicing is a nightmare.
2: Yeah, so I went to uh, this really cute goat dairy up in Pescadero called Harley Farms with my family. And I think I was maybe like 20 years old or so, and I told my mom that someday I would have a bunch of dairy goats and start a Mm -hmm. cheese company. And she thought I was totally crazy and probably still does. But um, I sort of had this goat be in my bonnet, and then also when I was sort of still up in the Bay Area...
0: This goat, actually, Gloria.
2: Yeah, my first goat. The white waterfall. one? Yeah.
0: That's Gertrude. Oh, Gertrude, yeah. And oh, Gloria's
2: God. mom up there. Um, <laughs> basically, I was, like, a home cheesemaker making cheese. My friend Zubin was milking some goats, so I was getting some goat's milk. And then when I came down here, I sort of had the opportunity to get a goat. Um, so I think we got – I got three goats, and then uh, three turns into six, and six turns into, like, 60 milkers and 120 babies, I guess, somehow. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how the goats came in. So it's sort of like a passion for making cheese, goats, a passion for raising goats, and then uh, Michelle being a supreme enabler helped us sort of, like, take it to the next level.
0: Yeah.
1: And what would you call the next level?
2: A lifetime guarantee of an endless amount of work and gainful employment. <laughs> oh, my yeah, gosh. at this point... Were.
0: I mean, now, when we first started, it was like a 40 hour week hobby um, that was really expensive and took up all of our time. In our relationship, we've never not had goats, so it just kind of comes second nature to us. But I guess it was kind of, we, like, there's a conversation to be had where it was just like, I can't keep doing this. This is crazy. Why are we milking all these animals to so just throw away the milk? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, how much
2: cheese can you make and give away?
0: Yeah, and how much time, and I would come home from my wine jobs, and I would help Jack by doing dishes, because, you know, cheese making, there's a lot of cleaning, not much has changed, but uh, it was kind of like, well, do we get rid of all the animals, or do we keep them? Uh, because you just can't have one. We're never, so we decided at, like, I don't know, we were like 24 25, we're like, let's start a cheese business, having zero experience in doing that, along with, running a ranch. And so I would say the next level is actually being successful at it. Uh, We're not, we're both Bayerians with zero farming experience. So Google will teach you a lot.
1: (laughs) So, and speaking of Bay area and tech, I mean, what what was your, what were your roles in that? Sorry, Jack, I'm talking to you. What, what did you do?
2: I had a brief, a brief career at a tech startup. Um, I joined when we were maybe like 65 people, I was helping to manage our front end development team there, and the company grew to a couple hundred people. It was getting bought out by one of the tech giants. The product itself was kind of smoke and mirrors in a house of cards. And I was like, wow, this is like, this business has gone as well as possible, and I feel nothing for it, and I don't like it. And I love the people I worked with. Some of them were great people on my team, but I wasn't excited about going to work. I was ready to go home and just like, I don't know, I just didn't have that much passion for it, but I was from that area originally. Needless to say, the entry level compensation at that job was much better than the entry level compensation as a goat farmer, but it just wasn't really sort of scratching all of the itches I wanted to. So um, yeah, I was only there you know, a little over a year, but it was not uh, not a good fit for me at that point in my life. So surprisingly, most of what I do now is like, <laughs> Business administration and management, and all of those things. So, I'm not like frolicking in the pasture with the goats like a lot of people like to envision, I think. But, um,
0: we actually now pay people to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, they get to do the fun jobs. Yeah, they
2: do the
1: fun jobs. That would be the fun thing. I don't know, Jack, if you remember, but I came up there four years ago, I think. Yeah, Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. And, uh, I think at that time, I don't know, maybe it was just the two of you.
2: It was maybe the two of us and maybe. Did plus, I give
0: your tour? No.
2: Plus Farah.
0: Then it was. Was it?
1: It was Jack. Is, but... It was. It was for a. Um, I was working with a PR company that was covering Cambria, and we had a story on why Cambria is so great to motorcycle to, and there was a motorcyclist that came up with us, wrote for motorcycle magazines, and um, yeah, I, I don't know why you would remember that, but it was really I. I was really moved by the operation you have up there. It just feels really um, comfortable and um, kind of homespun, but also just so beautiful up in those mountains. Um, and I, what I mostly remember was your affection for the goats. Um, that was really, it stood out to me. Um, and so, yeah, it was really clear that you love them. How many do you have now?
2: We're milking... Fifty-four. Fifty-four. Fifty-four? I was going to say fifty-six. Fifty-four. I'm sure Michelle's right. Um, so we're milking fifty-four. They had lots of babies this year, so we have about twenty uh, young doe kids, female goat kids that we're uh, raising as potential replacement does for We have herd. thirty
0: babies right
2: now. Um, oh so we've really, got, yeah. got a bunch of nice babies that we're keeping to see sort of how they develop. Um, then we have two bucks, so two herd sires who are responsible for- half of the genetics of our future herd. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot more goats I'm sure than we had then. We were probably in the, I was going to say high teens or twenties maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have an amazing woman named Sophie who is our herd manager now who went to Cal Poly and studied animal science and has totally taken the whole dairy operation to a level that neither of us could have. Um, so she's responsible for a lot of the day-to-day and for helping us sort of stay on top of all of the herd health stuff we have to stay on top of, stay on top of keeping our milk parlor exceedingly clean and all of those things. So I still get to go in there and do um, some goat snuggling and fun stuff like that. But Sophie is definitely, uh, for
0: definitely her our leader thing. there, yeah. yeah, for sure. She... Yeah animal whisper we wouldn't be here without her
2: but a couple of the goats the original goats still like me better than her so
1: <laughs> do you still name them all i remember you had them all named
2: still mm-hmm. all named um the names we kind of exhausted the low-hanging fruit so to speak in the beginning so we've got some
0: we've got creative names now Some more
2: creative names we yeah. got yeah i don't even know what are we, <laughs>
0: Amaranth is one. Amaranth,
2: Baba ghanoush, things like that. Before it was like flower and almond and easy things. Yeah, flower now has
0: had orchid and iris and yeah. The list goes on, but not too much has changed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Michelle, you said that you went to Cal Poly. What did you study?
0: I was a recreation major with a concentration in event planning and management. So I wanted to be an event planner, wedding planner.
1: Okay. And where did you grow up? You said Bay Area.
0: In the East Bay of the Bay Area. Okay.
1: Pretty far from the city?
0: Um, In Danville. Oh, yeah. So maybe about an hour away from the city, depending on traffic. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And what were you like as a kid?
0: Uh, as a kid, I was very hyper. Um, and... I always wanted to be outside. I kind of have or I, I have ADHD so I have a hard time sitting down and focusing for long periods of time which this type of job I think worked out well for that. Um, yeah I was just always outside, always doing sports, um, always playing or bothering my older sister, however you want to put it. Um, But yeah just always outside and playing on my rollerblades, playing with anything I can do outside was what I wanted to do as a kid.
1: Yeah and and a recreation management Degree. I mean, that fits that for sure.
0: Somehow, a lot of what we do, I mean, while the farming side is completely new to me, um, a lot of my degree actually lines up very well with what we do now. So that, I suppose. Yeah,
1: for sure. And what's it like being up there? So I, I hate to use the word isolated because it sounds it kind of can sound negative, but you are isolated up there. It, do you, did, was that hard to get used to at first? No, (laughs) she's shaking her Um, head. I,
0: I guess like the first few, like, like maybe like the first year or so, it was a bit of a change for me. Um, you know, going to Cal Poly, it was so social and I lived with my friends and all that. Um, but I worked weekends. So my weekends themselves were like typically either Sunday, Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so I was pretty good at finding things to do with my, like myself and my dog. Um, So I guess, like, what I did when I came here is I changed my habits, like, instead of potentially going day drinking or uh, going shopping, I would then go, or I mean, I would still go outside and hike and whatnot back in San Luis, but here I would go hiking or cook something from the garden or forage something from the farm. Um, And then we also, like, we just got so busy so quickly that that whole, like, lingering period of... Um, on my days off, I'd work full time at the winery and then come home and then help Jack and on the weekends I would help him with, or my weekends were his weekdays. So the isolation was challenging maybe in the beginning, but I was also so tired that I didn't have time to lust over wanting to hang out with people and everyone comes and visits us. Um, we have a lot of employees out here that we really like a lot of them live on the farm. our friends and family back when social distancing wasn't a thing would be here all the time. So at some points I actually feel like I over-social, because people are always around.
1: Yeah. And you say that other people live up at the farm. How many people do?
0: We've
2: got um, three families. So two families that have been here that used to work for my grandfather when he was alive, they've, they're, Two husbands have been here for I think eighteen and nineteen years, wow. um, and then Sophie, our herd manager, she lives on the farm as well.
0: And then we had one girl, but she she lived on the farm temporarily. We just have a couple of people that float on and off for like the goat kidding season or for an extended stay in a tiny house. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Jack, when you were growing up, did you come out to the ranch to vacation or see your grandparents?
2: Totally. Yeah, we used to come out. I would say normally a couple times a year, um, we'd, um, uh, where I was growing up and then also down here. So we would come down and, uh, around on the farm and go hiking and drive around and do all kinds of fun stuff. So I have lots of, lots of fond memories of that when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, lots of poison oak and tromping through the woods and stuff like that. Is that picture on my whiteboard? This. Hang on, let me see this picture
0: once again. Oh, yeah. Jack, it's a podcast,
1: though. No, but I want to see it. (laughs) Is he not getting the concept? (laughs) Um, Michelle, did you always love food?
0: Uh, I did. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's him. That's It's me
2: here with my grandparents when I was maybe, like, three years old or
0: something
1: like that. Oh, keep it up. Hold on. Keep it there. I'm just going to take a picture
0: uh, fix the I can is, also text you too. Okay.
1: That's awesome. So awesome. I also love this wood paneling in your house. It's so legit looking in all, and in your quails and everything. Our yeah, house
0: is pretty cool. We, got yeah. some cool we have a lot of artwork. wood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Sorry, Michelle. So do you, did you always love food?
0: Um. Yeah, so when I was a young girl, um, I mean, my parents were great cooks. I would understand like phenomenal, like Michelin star restaurants, but my mom was always made really good food. And I always enjoyed eating it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I just really like started to really like cooking and experimenting, um, more with when I got older. Um, and then maybe more in college, I went to Cuesta originally. So I, then I transferred in, so I never had a meal plan. So when I was 18, I was cooking all of my food and that was hard and You kind of learn how to make cheap food taste good with spices. Yeah. And that's what kind of sparked my interest in recipes and things like
1: that. Awesome. And, Jack, did you always love food? Like when you would come and visit your grandparents, did you eat pretty well?
2: We would eat pretty well. We had lots of orange juice. We have some great orange trees here. Um, I definitely started watching Martha Stewart in, like, fourth (laughs) and fifth grade which was not a super typical thing for an 11-year-old boy to do. has two
0: sisters. two sisters, I was pretty
2: into that. And then, like, some early Food Network, Iron Chef Japan stuff in, like, sixth grade. I was way into that, too. So I remember I bought myself an omelet pan and a crepe pan when I was 12. So I was always cooking and experimenting and trying to figure out how I could make things better, which is actually how I got into cheese. It was like, okay, I can bake sourdough bread. I can do some basic fermenting, like, I want to learn how to make cheese. I'm going to teach myself how to make cheese. So
1: you were baking uh, sourdough bread when you were like in high school, junior high?
2: No, I'm sorry. Um, that was more like college, post college. I got into that stuff more yeah. of like the fermentation stuff, but sort of like this slow progression starting in elementary school and junior high led me to wanting to. I w- would always taste something and say, "Oh, I could bet I can make that better than I could buy it," and then
0: in your family with it cheese, really mm-hmm. it was
2: like, "Okay, this is something that I really have no basis." For I want to learn how to make it. So when I was living in Palo Alto, still working at the tech company, I was making cheese in my kitchen in Palo Alto, and my roommates were vocal but patient with me that um, having like modified coolers and huge amounts of raw milk and all of these things in our kitchen was probably not the most courteous thing for me to do. But they they put up with it nevertheless. Yeah.
1: And now they're a
0: cheese
1: club. Are they? Yeah. So so you can ship. So you ship um, all over the U.S. I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, we've had a cheese club for a little over a year and a half now, and it shipped out yesterday. Um, The biggest shipment we've ever done. And then with this lovely thing called coronavirus, uh, we had to, you know, suspend our tours and kind of shift and pivot to be online. So, and during our birthing season, which is the hardest time of the year for us um, and busiest, we went from having 60 goats to 120 babies in 30 days. Um, was when everything was happening. It was March. Uh, so Jack um, and Jill, who works for us, basically pulled their brainpower together and we launched a shipping store. So now that's kept us afloat and been doing really well mm-hmm. uh, the last two months. And we officially wa- uh, launched Nationwide Shipping two weeks ago. Wow. So
2: yeah. yeah, so we've got free shipping for orders over $50 on the West Coast, um, which includes some of the Inland states as well, but generally west of the Rocky Mountains and then the rest of the United States, we can't offer free shipping, but it's still two day shipping. And
0: because it's insulated, um, it needs ice packs, so it needs to get there, um,
2: either
0: overnight or in two days. Yeah, so
2: yeah, but we're shipping out all kinds of cheese. We launched a couple of new bundles 30 minutes ago, so my phone is vibrating over here. People are ordering, <laughs> oh, bless um, you. <laughs> yeah, so that's exciting, but uh, yeah, huge, huge amount of support from our from our fan base on the online store, which has been awesome
0: for Mm -hmm. sure. And you
1: started with obviously with goat cheese, right? Yeah. But you, but I mean, I just, for mother's day, I got the fromage blanc, which I ate this morning and at midday (laughs) and it's just delicious. Um, but that's cow's milk, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So we've, we've got a great relationship going with cow poly now. So we go down there every Monday and we pick up cow's milk from them. Um, Ryan, who's our director of operations, tows this big, beautiful (laughs) stainless trailer that we built. Um, So we're able to pick up a load of cow's milk, bring it up here to the farm, and then we're processing everything here on the farm in our creamery. So we're doing goat's milk cheeses, cow's milk cheeses, mixed milk cheeses, cow-goat blends, things like that. So a little bit of everything in it.
0: And we got got sheep's milk over the winter.
2: Yeah, we Mm -hmm. got a little bit of sheep's milk to play with. So it started Mm -hmm. out as something to help us. Um, sort of bridge our off season because our dairy is seasonal. We're only milking the goats around nine months a year. Um, So then you've got all of this facility and staff, et cetera, and you have to figure out what to do for a few months. So that was sort of how it started. And then cow's milk cheeses are hugely popular um, and we can have them year round. So that's sort of become part of our mainstay.
1: Yeah. And for a commercial farm, I mean like a really big mass production commercial farm, is it they don't have time off right they just do they um somehow tweak things to keep it year-round if you know for goat cheese
0: yeah you could do hormones but we don't do that there can be maybe different style of goats but we like to keep their natural cycle um of being seasonal lactators and also then we get christmas and thanksgiving off that's pleasant as well
1: yeah it's pleasant
2: yeah having a couple months off for milking by the time you get to month nine you're over it. They're over it. Everyone's over it. It's not a bad deal. But aside from hormones, you can also stagger breeding. Mm-hmm. You can do things yeah. like that. You can milk goats through their season and keep them going for longer than nine or ten months. So the big commercial dairies have lots of tactics to keep in goat milk year-round. But it's a uh, it's a grind. I have a ton of respect for people who can do yeah. it 365 days a year. But
0: I mean, you milk twice a day, every day, no matter what the weather, no matter what the holiday, no matter if you have stomach and flu poisoning, Then they're done that, you still got to get it done.
1: Yeah. Uh, Did you, do you have one breed of goats?
0: We have La Manchas, um, which are known for their tiny little ears. Uh, So actually these goats that are behind us have the bigger ears, but La Manchas are, they're actually pretty silent. Um, That's a big main reason why we picked them. I can literally, I'm staring at our business right now. It's maybe about 15 feet away from our actual house. Um, So we wanted to have silence. And also these animals are high volume lactators. They have good butter fat um, and they're really smart and docile animals. So we just chose this breed for um, a few reasons, like which is those. And also
2: there were (laughs) a couple of um, women who were breeding them Mm -hmm. in San Luis Obispo Mm -hmm. County who I met sort of early on my goat journey who bestowed upon me the merits of the La Mancha goat, and also had bucks, had animals for sale, et cetera. So it was sort of like both a combination of them being available and learning why we really like that breed um, for us. And people have goat people have super strong opinions one way or another on every breed of goat, but.
0: And we um, do too. <laughs> yeah,
2: We're going to La Manchas now. <laughs> but when you live where you work, you got go to go La Manchas well, for, for sure. me.
1: Is there yeah. a breed that you, I mean, you can you can spout opinions here. Is there a breed that you really don't like?
2: I think they all.
0: I mean, I like them all, but I like them when they're more quiet. And I, I don't, don't like
2: Nubians.
1: Yeah, Let's Nubians real. are
0: really loud. Yeah.
2: They're prized for their amazing milk. Mm-hmm. They have the highest. They have one of the highest butter fats. I think Nigerian dwarfs have higher butter fat than them, but they have a huge amount of butter fat. They make great milk for milking, but they are loud and they are troublemakers, and they need to stay away from our farm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. And if you have. 50 to a hundred of them at any time. Loud matters. And and you're right. You're like sleeping right there.
2: A hundred La Mancha's is quieter than one. one Nubian. Yeah. I honestly believe that at least ours. There's, and I don't well, people, Nubian people know that they're loud and they're divas. It's okay.
0: And also what's, La Manchas are very friendly. Maybe it's also the style and how we I bring them up. I think they're all up. friendly. Yeah, but, like, La Manchas are a bit sweeter, and we, do, we did, oh, COVID, but we did so many tours that we also ensured that our animals are good lactators um, and nice.
2: But I'd say, too, like, um, La Manchas are not the smartest breed either.
0: Which is also kind of nice. Good. Yeah, you but don't what? want them to be too smart. But you don't want them to escape their pen as often as they already do. We have three on the milking line right now that they know, like they basically get kind of put in a headgate while they're eating, and we can milk them out. Um, and some of them know how to bite it off. They just kind of like nibble at it, and they just cause chaos. Yeah, and it's hard. So when they're just a little bit dumb, but also smart enough to know that you get in here, you get milked out, then you leave. That's the way to go.
1: One you know? and then Yeah. What else do you grow up there? I seem to remember you have a pretty nice orchard, don't you?
0: What don't we grow?
2: Yeah, so (laughs) we grow mostly Hass avocados. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of Hass avocado trees and then
0: Like 42
2: acres? uh, It's about 35 acres of Hass avocados and then lots of passion fruit, um, cherimoyas, sapote, 30 kinds of citrus, um, lots of onesie twosies. We sort of have like a small rare fruit orchard collection that is growing all the time? We have um, a
0: microclimate. So, uh, we're in a valley. Uh, so we're, we have, we can, we're able to grow subtropical fruits. So we have a lot of subtropical fruits. Um, Jack and now myself, but he got me into it along with basically everything else. Um, it's part of the rare fruit growers, <laughs> rare fruit grower society. Uh, and so in our early days of our relationship, Jack would be online like late night searching something and, Normally, when I do that, I'm online shopping, like, guiltily, and he would be online shopping rare fruit trees, like, on eBay or wherever, Menlo Growers, something, and we would just get all sorts of trees, so we have random little fruits that, like, some do good, some do bad, some stick, some don't, um, so we've all sorts, like, we have papaya out here, it's crazy. Do you
2: really have that- bananas,
0: bananas and fruit right now, but they're for personal use, and more experimentation than...
2: I'd say the main things we have for sale, though, are avocados, citrus, and passion fruit. Those yeah. are sort of our commercial crops. And
0: dragon fruit, eventually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I'm, I can't get over the fact that you can grow bananas up there. Yeah, it's kind of crazy.
2: We have some coffee plants, too. Yeah. We, I tried to plant a lot of coffee, which went pretty badly, but we still have maybe like... 35 plants that are four or five years in the ground. So we get coffee off of them.
0: We can Um, maybe have one cup if we ever roasted the bean.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's lots of uh, sort of exciting crops you can try. And we sort of tried a lot of them in the beginning and passion fruit was the clear victor. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot easier to grow and it really likes our climate. Um, So that's one that we've planted a lot more of. We've got about Eight hundred little plants. We're gonna put in the ground in the next few weeks too. So but we
0: currently have like two or three acres. Or yeah, yeah,
2: we got a lot of passion fruit. Yeah,
0: I
1: love passion fruit. What do you do with it? What do? You, how do you guys eat it? Straight.
0: Uh, straight. Yeah, like an oyster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to put it like in lemonades or a cocktail.
2: I like it with yogurt too.
0: Yogurt. Yeah, Greek yogurt, really good. You can cook with it. I mean, we've made, we've done all sorts of things with it, but. Sometimes I think the easiest thing to do is when you pick it off the ground, you cut it open with your knife and put it in your mouth. It's yeah. the best way to do it.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the oddest thing when you look at it. You wonder how did anyone ever decide that this was something edible? Because um, it's like jelly, kind of like with seeds in mm-hmm. it, and but it is so tropical tasting,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: beautiful. And yeah, cocktails. I've never tried that, but I'd love to. Do you yeah, guys? The
2: fragrant- the fragrance is one of my favorite parts. They smell
1: so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of subtle. I mean, it smells like perfume, I think. Mm-hmm. Do yeah. you um, do you sell at farmer's markets?
2: We do a lot of farmer's markets. Yeah. So locally, we do Templeton and Cambria.
0: And Morro Bay now. We just added it.
2: Cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're pretty Saturday. much just selling cheese at those markets. We're not selling our other... Fruit crops because there's lots of people selling avocados who've been there for a long Sometimes time. Sometimes
0: we can sell our honey and our soap every, uh, at some of the markets, too. So. Um,
2: and then we do seven markets in the L.A. area, a couple markets in Santa Barbara, and ten markets in San Francisco Bay Area. So, about wow. 24, 24
1: a week. 24 a week, yeah. Who's taking the van?
2: So, we have a, we have a couple of warehouses, and we have people who live in those areas okay. who work for us, so... We, in the very beginnings, it was me driving up there once a week, which didn't last for too long, although it lasted for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of got big enough and successful enough that we got a small warehouse space. So we have this amazing company that shows up here every Thursday with a refrigerated truck and drops off wherever we want. And um, then we have people sort of dispersed in these locations who are working for us doing farmers markets out of these warehouses. So We
0: have we, different managers in different locations that we communicate with that do all like the hiring and all that um and help us out with that type of stuff
2: yeah so it's uh it's definitely started out with just a couple markets our first year we basically sold all of our product in cambria Cambria. at that market Mm -hmm. and then as we've grown we've expanded but it's uh it's really great to have sort of such a direct line to our customer base and uh
0: it's really saved us right now with COVID too with all the restaurant shutdowns and stuff so yes for
1: sure i mean it was a lifeline for me to know that Farmers markets were open still. Um,
0: yeah, open air farmers markets. Open air markets are like the safest place to shop at. And also, it's
2: like one of the few things you can still do that yeah. feels kind of normal. Let's go to the farmers market. Yes. Not super normal. There's still lines on the ground and masks being worn, et cetera. But at least, like, it's the same people selling the same food products there. And it's not like walking into the desolate shelves of Smart and Final where everything's gone, you know?
1: Right. And uh, you can see fresh food it's it like you said it's not like going into food for less under the fluorescent lights you can see things. real people grew these real things i don't know there's something
0: and it's just like cool less there. people that have touched the food in general it's coming direct from the farm so it's just a safer place to do things and we commend the market managers for transforming these places into a safe spot basically overnight and allowing us to keep 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 us and our employees um, in business so Yeah, Yeah,
2: they've done a – fantastic.
0: it changes a little
2: bit every week. It changed a lot every week in the beginning, but now it seems like they have sort of a better rhythm, sort of controlling the flow of people in and out of the markets and then also just implementing lots of measures to make sure Mm -hmm. the interactions and the transactions are as safe as possible.
1: Yeah. Uh, You have really blown up in terms of, um, you know, making – shipping free west of the Rocky or, you know, along in California, maybe you said, um, and that all comes kind of at an interesting time, you know, it, a lot of farms and people like, um, larder meat company, they're all just expanding, you know, twofold, threefold because of demand. Are you seeing that through your cheese club? Is it just going up and up and up?
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. We're getting a lot of orders. I mean, I think for us, um, because we make everything that we sell here, we have to make a lot more product for us to sell a lot more product and we're not in a position at this time to do that yet. So we've been doing some creamery expansion for the past few months, which was both poorly timed and well-timed depending on uh, how you look at it. But uh, for us to sell more cheese, that means we need to make more cheese, which means we need to process more milk and age it out and A lot of our cheeses are aged for five six seven eight months so it's not like you can just turn the switch and i think we've tried our staff on the farm has done an incredible job of sort of committing to uh, a level of social distancing outside of work that will keep them and us safe because as you're seeing in a lot of food processing plants around the country it is not going well for them so as part of that it's like we're not not we don't have craigslist ads up we're not just like hiring anyone who wants to work here which at some point was sort of our mo because we needed help as fast as we could get it um so it's kind of a balance between like sustaining our current business and keeping everyone here as safe as possible and also just like desperately needing more bodies to implement what we're doing because launching a web store you know we didn't hire a team to do it it's like (laughs) we do the shipping every monday i get to write handwritten sharpie notes on the shipping labels to people that i know and love and recognize and it's awesome. But at the same time, it's It's a lot only been more work with less resources or the same resources. And like,
0: but we're so lucky. We feel so blessed to um, even be in business. Um, But we've worked, we're working more. I mean, we always work a lot. Let's be real. But um, everyone's like, Oh, I have all this free time. I'm like, I have no free time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this for some reason, Uh, I feel like I'm the busiest I've ever been. Well, I have two kids. That's probably why.
2: That's yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's at least two full time jobs. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, for us it's like we uh, I think we plan to keep growing steadily, but we're not we're not gonna turn around and double or anything like that. And um everything's changed sort of so fluidly over the past couple of months. I think hopefully there are some sticking trends that people wanna get more products direct for from consumers. People who have not been to farmers' markets before are gonna keep going there. Um, and hopefully, restaurants come back in some form of what they once were. I know it'll be really different, and I'm—we have lots of friends in that industry, and we're thinking about them constantly because it's a—it's a rough scene it's right now. And yeah. um, but for us, it's more just like, don't—we're not trying to go too crazy. We're not trying to blow it up. We just want to kind of keep the city growth we've had for the past few years and
0: and keep our quality.
2: Yeah, and it's—it's it's easy to sort of like get wide-eyed and see increased demand etc and want to grow but it's like no we need to do what's been successful or successful for us up until now and, and not... keep
0: us mostly considerably sane yeah and our staff saying that's like a huge part is you know keeping the people that you employ happy i mean not every job is going to be wonderful but um
2: we have a lot yeah. of long-term staff members now which wasn't always the case yeah. and they're amazing and We would be totally lost without them so
0: we've expanded jack and i used to do everything with help of like part-timers and whatnot but now there's just so much that each of our managers have taken on that i don't even know if they left it would be so challenging for us to fill that role. granted i'm sure we could figure it out but we just we really want to make sure we don't overwhelm them yeah and we perhaps have
1: um and ourselves
0: just keeping people happy
1: yeah. I like what you said. Well, I had never thought about this before, but having a level of trust and commitment with your staff, knowing that they're social distancing when they're away from you, um, mm-hmm. that does take a lot of trust and probably, you know, it's just long-term relationship with them.
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's been like, you know, we'll send them home with uh, nitro gloves and hand sanitizer and as much food as we can get them from the farm. So they a can sort of venture around the community safely and be you know maybe don't need to go out for food as much and I think slow county is a really interesting example of COVID I mean there's not that much COVID here but people are treating it either very seriously or not as seriously and I don't know who's right or wrong but I just know that for us as a food manufacturer shipping products all over the place we want to make sure that we're exercising the utmost caution and that our staff is doing that when they're here and when they're not here, because if one of us becomes ill here, it's it's gonna be a real challenge for us to continue.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, how much in volume, how do you measure? I mean, is it in the volume of milk that you get every year or can you measure it in terms of like how many cheeses you make a year? What are some of those numbers? Pounds.
2: pounds of cheese. Um, you, now you're going to ask me how many pounds of cheese we make, and I don't know the answer, the exact answer. But we've basically grown – we've been in business for five years, and we've grown 50% every year. So that's sort of our general trajectory, which is uh, – yeah, it's been it's been really great and steep, but also sort of consistent and not uh, not too crazy, depending on who you ask, I think. I think and, it's um, been crazy, but great. But yeah, that's, that's sort of where we're at and like <laughs> – a lot of that is uh driven by sophie doing a great job with our goats so our per animal daily production is up a huge amount from where it used to be some of the goats are also just getting older
0: um and we're getting our genetic breeding down
2: and also processing processing more cow's milk so there's like a number of factors that sort of contribute to that overall growth but i'd say yeah um yeah it's it's definitely been quite a bit from the very beginning though for sure but back then it seemed like totally overwhelming to process you know 50 75 gallons worth of milk which is um (laughs) which is a slow morning now you know yeah wow
1: yeah Yeah. um do you have goals for the farm do you want to see it hit any specific point or like is there something you on your bucket list that you would love to do there
0: we we yeah we definitely have our goals and we've hit some of them and some of us will make more goals. Um, <laughs> I but, saw yeah. him
1: smile, the biggest grin, like, please don't ask me
0: that. i need to get in trouble again. No, um, I can't help it. Yeah, Jack is more of the dreamer and I'm more of the, like, take it back. How are we going to get there? Um, but, yeah, I, we definitely our herd has grown healthily. We are expanding the creamery, but that's kind of on pause as we can't bring as many contractors in to help us build it. But you want to talk about the recycling water program that you implemented this year? Hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we have lots of different goals. One of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we don't want the creamery to get much bigger than it is now, which is what I said every year and it's it's recording really true. Um, but, I think for us, it's like reach sort of a sustainable level where our staff and ourselves are provided for, and it's not so big that it's not fun anymore because it's way too much work to not be fun. Um, And then also, you know, taking steps to do sort of additional um, environmentally friendly things. So like launching shipping really quickly. We've been shipping in styrofoam. It is not our first or second choice, but it's what was readily available. So we're going to transition that into something that's fully recyclable Uh, hopefully over the next month or so, when our packaging vendor comes through with that, we started um, treating, recycling, and and irrigating a lot of our wastewater onto pastures for the goats. So um, rather than putting it into our septic, it's now going back on to irrigate pasture for them. We keep them off of it long enough that any sort of residual stuff is dissipated and um, they can graze on it again. You know, so I think doing things to sort of like overall reduce our environmental impact and the amount of packaging and stuff we use while sort of achieving some of these business goals. Those are sort of the things we're focused on now. Um, And also just like, how can we make our staff's life a little better so they want to stay here because there's environmental sustainability, there's financial sustainability and there's personal sustainability. So like if everyone's here working 50, 60, 70, 100 hours a week, they're not going to last that long. It's not very much fun. And why would you want to do something like that? So I think, you know, some of the stuff in our creamery build out, they're major labor-saving devices, um, big dishwashing machines, job machines that do the jobs that our staff like doing the least, um, so they can sort of have more aid in those fronts and just trying to like achieve balance. Um, so I think that's sort of the phase we're in now. It's less of sort of like the grow, grow, grow and more of like the, okay, let's take a breath. Let's try to, uh, fix some of the things, some issues that we created by going fast before and also, um, try to, you know, keep it, keep it fun and keep it interesting and not so crazy for us and our staff because otherwise we'll, we'll burn out.
1: For sure. Yeah. Do you, uh, work well, pretty well together?
0: We're great together. You must. I, love, yeah, I yeah, mean, that's
1: a silly question. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we love working. I think, in the beginning, it was, I think that's one of the main reasons how we were able to do so much in so little of time is we just worked. We did absolutely everything together um, and enjoyed it. Like, hey, let's go. You know, we both have college degrees. Let's go do dishes for eight hours. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> let's, you know, go run out in the middle of the night pouring rain and go pull some baby goats out of the mom because it's breached. And um, doing it together, I think, really, like, helped us and... Maybe in some ways didn't because our house would be a disaster. We would just eat top ramen and a farm egg, like because you're we too busy. But um, yeah, we love working together. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. mean, some days I'm like, get out. I'm watching TV. It's a lot of togetherness
2: living and working out here, though. As you you mentioned being isolated, it's like we are, but we're we're best friends. We hang out and work together all the time. It's it's uh, no one will tell me. What I need to hear more than Michelle, so that's always a, uh, it's always good, and I,
0: vice versa. Yeah, it's,
2: it's a, we have a good balance and a very direct communication style at this point, so it works. We just else. have
0: fun together. Yeah, we have fun. I mean, obviously, there are things that aren't perfect, but it's like you could help me with the laundry, <coughs> but it's fun. And we love working together.
1: Yeah, and the amount of time I've always thought that couples who work together the amount of time that they spend together, it's almost like they've been married longer than the average person who just sees their spouse at home after work, you know? So you have, an, you already have an old marriage, which I think is pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
2: We've, uh, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast or not, but we've you definitely can. seen some, we've <laughs> seen some shit
0: together. We've seen a lot of shit, yeah. So it's, uh... We've had to make a lot, of, a lot of our conversations, you know, we have to make a lot of hard, hard decisions as young people all the time. And a lot of it is on this couch, each holding a cat. Just Mm -hmm. like, okay, how are we gonna do this? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna problem solve holding our cats? And then we just kind of talk it out and uh, we've had to make a lot of hard, hard choices. Um, Tears, fighting, but it always works out.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask if you'd shed any tears on that couch and I think you answered that.
0: (laughs) More so from me.
1: (laughs) Well. And I would imagine, I mean, I'm thinking again about Jack and his affection for the goats. I'm sure you've had just some really hard moments with these animals that you love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them don't make it. Some of them get sick. Most of them are great. (laughs) They're doing wonderful. Um, But yeah, sad things happen on the farm and you have to get through it together.
2: Um, It's definitely real. It makes it all feel super real. It gives perspective to lots of the Non issues yeah. that we would turn into issues otherwise, because that kind of thing reminds you of what it's all really about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely lots of uh, lots of healthy animals. And the hard part is, a lot of my very first goats are now getting to that yeah, age. Getting- so that's those are the ones that are sort of like the most meaningful to me, and that I have the most memories with. Not that I don't love and have memories with the new ones, but like when I had two goats, three goats. So we have Almond. She's, like, the last holdover from my, my very first batch. and she's retired, she just lives here and hangs out. Um,
0: she's getting old. The other day, Sophie and I talked about her. We are just like, yep, yeah. she's not getting up the way she used to, but she's nine?
2: I don't know. She's, nine like, or nine ten. or ten years yeah. old. She's yeah. getting up there. Which, for a goat, I mean, you might make it to 12, 13, but...
0: They're kind of like large dogs. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, But
0: well, she's still unexpected well- really <laughs> for now. I was going to ask
1: what I always ask, which is what would you eat if you had the choice to decide what your last meal would be?
2: So much sushi.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, I'm
2: craving sushi a lot these days. We used to go get it, not super often, but
0: I a couple sushi. times a
2: month. And we've had spots up in the Bay Area we love and New York that we love. And it's like, when will we ever get to go to those places in New York again? Like Our last oh, date
0: was to Goshi right before the quarantine happened.
2: I miss Oscar so much.
0: Yeah. hi, Oscar.
1: I love He's, Goshi.
2: Yeah. And it's like especially in the grand scheme of like CDC's advice on foods. It's like eat hot foods. It's like I, I just I love sushi so much. Although our friend uh, Neil, who owns Moro Bay Oyster Company. Yeah,
1: he was on here last season.
2: He, uh, oh, cool. he texted me. Him. He's got a 10 pound salmon in Moro Bay with our name on it. So. Oh. It might be some, I'm go pick it some up. sashimi in our future.
1: Fantastic. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. That's and nice. I think I would also have pizza. Well,
1: see, I actually thought you were going to say, because what I remember is that beautiful wood, fi- um, wood oh, oven yeah. outside. Wood oven. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to say? Um,
0: wood fire pizza oven.
1: A pizza. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I remember you saying that you would have parties up there, and it's just so beautiful. And I could totally picture that being one of your last meals.
2: We've had some pizza, not, we made some wood fire pizza like a month ago, maybe, which went okay. It wasn't our best, but like the first time you use it in the season, it's kind of damp and cold, etc. But uh,
0: you got to learn to use oven, yeah. Yeah. I just love I I love, love uh, you love sushi. I love pizza. Yeah. (laughs) So I would have a good Neapolitan, how do I say it? Neapolitan. Neapolitan pizza.
2: Our buddy, uh, our buddy just helped up in a restaurant up in Aptos.
0: Yeah and he's yeah. been
2: sending us all these pizza pictures and it's like it's too much to handle it looks so good It hurts
0: my heart They have
2: a It's cruel. They have a machine. Yeah, it it's is. a <laughs> carbonated slushy machine. So it makes carbonated slushies, Aperol Spritz Spritzes. slushies. And he oh. sends me these pictures and I'm just like you oh. son of a bitch. Yeah. It looks look so good. <laughs> but um I don't know. At this point too we're so excited to eat any food that we didn't cook.
1: Oh, for Which sure. doesn't
2: happen very frequently right now, especially where we're at. It's like my sister got us some Chinese takeout from the Bay Area. She was sort of like passing through and dropped it off from afar. And that was amazing. But
0: we're, uh, we're too paranoid to go out to eat. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. And you guys are so out there. Yeah. Well, I am wishing you a meal out, sushi out very, very soon.
0: Thank you.
1: You're welcome. And thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Of course, thank you. Stay safe out there. Thank you, you too.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Consumed as always. I'm so glad you joined me. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. If you want to get all kinds of tidbits like recipes, updates on guests, and new seasons, join the Consumed mailing list at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at j-a-i-m-e-c-l-e-w-i-s until next season wear your mask wash your hands cook dinner send letters to your loved ones support your local purveyors and make a budget for takeout every little bit helps take care everyone